You have an outline in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. And uh, we're going to continue here on this study about leadership. We want to be reminded again of the importance of leadership comes at home first, right? At home. That's where leadership is uh, uh, grown up. And so, uh, now that, you know, we are talking now more about the church and its need for leadership, we want to zero in on a, on a couple of key things. When I, um, I, I suppose we could say when anyone takes up a study of leadership or church leadership, we'd find uh, a whole stack of books. I mentioned that last week. We could pull out books on leadership and uh, surround me with them. And it's very interesting to take note that rarely do any of them speak on a certain characteristic that is absolutely essential. We can have leadership conferences and seminars, and many of you have gone to them, whether it's through work or just for your own interest, and uh, hear all about leadership and, and feel like, you know, gee, if I was only like that guy or that woman, I could really do a great job. <laughs> but it seems like the one thing they miss is to talk about love in regards to leadership. When we think about leadership in our church or when we encourage you about leadership development in the home, it must be with love. And um, this is what we want to talk about today. Um, we're instructed, I mean, the New Testament is absolutely clear about love being required. As a, it's, it's a trait, it's a characteristic that we've got to have. And if your leaders in the church did not have love, um, that would be very noticeable. And it's not something that I'm at all implying that we've arrived either. Uh, like, you know, Brendan and I and, and Chris and, and the deacons, you know, we, we got it down, man. We, we have so much love for you all. It's a matter for everyone in the, in the body of Christ to be growing in this way with, in regards to love. Pursue love. Walk in love. Keep yourself in the love of God, as the little book of Jude mentions. Love is to be exemplified at all levels. Okay? Um, we want to encourage, like, for instance, you just saw the children with the teachers and the helpers up here. And other areas of the ministry, uh, we want to remember, you know, the reason to do this is out of love. It's not because... Um, I, I had a really great presentation to persuade Gary Stevens or so-and-so to, to do what they're doing up here. It, not, it wasn't about us being persuasive. It's about people you, and your involvement in church ministry. It ought to be driven by love, right? And all too often, we get off track from that. And we get off track from that at home or here at church. And so it's important that we understand this. You know what? The, we got a bit of a problem as we continue on this uh, 
bit of an introduction in our in this message. When it comes to displaying love, the church seems to be a bit confused. I'm not talking about our church alone, but just the church in general can be a bit confused in their display of love. It doesn't seem like we have a real clear, strong understanding of love, other than the fact that a lot of us will say, well, God loves you. God loves us. God, God loves everybody. We mentioned it in, in a way in, in, at Sunday school time this morning. It's like the definition of biblical love has been hijacked. And we've got to come back to what is it, what is a biblical perspective of love? Let me read this to you. This is a little quote from a book by D.A. Carson. D.A. Carson, the God who is there. He said, if, if people believe in God at all, by and large, they find it easy to believe in God's love. That's one of the, the, the attractions. That's one of the things we, we gravitate towards. God's love. Yeah. Yet being comfortable with the notion of the love of God has been accompanied by some fairly spongy notions as to what love means. Occasionally, you will hear somebody saying something like this. And I would venture to say most of us have heard this kind of thing. He says this. It's Christians I don't like. I mean, like, God is love. And if everybody were just like Jesus, it would be wonderful. And Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. You know, if we could all just be non-judgmental and be loving the way Jesus was loving, then the world would be a better place. There is an assumption there about the nature of love, isn't there? What kind of assumption is that? That love is non-judgmental. It doesn't condemn anyone. It lets everybody do whatever they want. That is what love means. According to his, his opening statement in this chapter. And so, it's a challenge to us, you know, as to defining this. The Bible says that love is the greatest. So in leadership, biblically practical love ought to be elevated, spotlighted, and credited to God. This is something that I know I need more of. I need to grow in this way. I believe that the, the measure of love in my heart for God for the ministry, gets fueled by intake from God's Word and communion with God, understanding who God is. And a lot of times, now I say for everyone, our measure or our, our um, capacity of love is, is, is not that big because our focus is, tends to be in the wrong place. And the more we have a focus on Jesus being perfect, being amazing, being who He is, defined by the Word, not defined by me or someone else, 
but defined by the Word of God, then we see Him as marvelous and wonderful. And it's like, this is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about Jesus. Why? Because of how great He is, how awesome, he, how amazing, how perfect, how incredibly loving He is and truthful. All these things. Who is Jesus in your mind? Who is Jesus? And this is a challenging consideration for us. You know, a lot of us, and I'm one of them, I tend, I have that tendency to think, well, um, hey, I'm going to heaven. Isn't that good enough? And, you know, he really loves me. I mean, after all, the church is really good at teaching Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. I got that in my mind. You've got that in your mind, don't you? Jesus loves me. And so we kind of take it for granted. Hey, you know, this is, it's a no-brainer. See, that's my problem. That's your problem. When we kind of think of it, it's a, it's a given. It shouldn't be a given. Do you understand that? It shouldn't be a given. And yet it is. It's not because of my character or your character or your attributes or my attributes. It's because of a great and awesome, amazing God. And so our sights of Jesus need to be expanded and magnified, right? The more we magnify Him, the better. So here's what I want to do. We want to look at three passages and and then understand what um, this tells us about love. And in regards, in the context of your home, and the church. Okay? That's kind of what we're doing here. Right? So, love is, number one, our greatest motivation. Love is our greatest motivation. And I want you to turn to John chapter 21. This is our first passage we want to look at. John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. So we we think of Peter. And obviously the situation is one where it seems like Peter must have felt like the biggest loser Right? Following Jesus' uh, arrest, his betrayal, his arrest, his beating, all that. And uh, here it is right after Christ's resurrection. And Peter, Peter had denied him three times. And the one time, the last time Christ turned and looked at him and caught, caught sight of him and they exchanged a glance there. And this was such a, a broken man right now, right? Peter, having denied the Lord. 
Peter does not first approach Jesus asking for his forgiveness. He takes the silent approach, hoping maybe Jesus glosses over it and forgets to bring it up, right? But after breakfast here on this, on this certain day, the resurrected Jesus opens it up to address the issue. Does Listen, does Jesus rip into Peter? What would I have done? What would you have done? Maybe we, no, we, we wouldn't have ripped into Jesus, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, into Peter, but <laughs> hey, I, I want to get my shot here, right? It's like I want to say to Peter, come on, you know, you, 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 you realize the damage you did to our cause? I mean, something like that, but Jesus doesn't do that. How does Jesus deal with it? He asks him questions. He asks Peter, do you love me? Right away, he, he, he raises the issue of love. Do you love me? More than these. And it doesn't explicitly tell us in detail what these are. Maybe he's referring to the fish. Maybe he's referring to the fishing business that Peter tends to want to go back to. Maybe it's his, uh, his uh, connection with the fellow fishermen that he loves this company, this business uh, uh, connection that he has. Well, he asks him a second time, do you love me? More in, in a much more simple way. And then he asks him a third time, do you love me? And I think most of us have considered this, the, the significance of the three times. And it's saying, you know, Peter was grieved in his heart when he did it a third time. It's like, maybe there's the, the pointed issue, you know, that Jesus is, is raising. But it's an interesting uh, verbal uh, back and forth time here. Jesus asking, do you agape me? And Peter replies saying, I, I do, I phileo you. He's using a different word than Jesus. And yet, Jesus doesn't uh, correct him there either necessarily. He, he's... He's in the business of restoring a broken person. Isn't that good? Jesus is trying to restore Peter in this way. Do you feel in your life, you think you've got that connection there with Peter? Maybe it's the broken person syndrome. Maybe it's a spiritual drifter that you feel like you are just kind of a spiritual drifter. Well, the love of God is what motivates us to return, right? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. maybe is the best verse to point to this uh, issue of love being our greatest motivator. The Apostle Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians. It says in your outline, verse 4. It's not. It's verse 14. So you might want to make that correction there in your outline if you want. But um, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us or constrains us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, 
therefore all died. And He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. There is the motivation of love for anyone. The love of Christ controls us. What does control mean in this verse? The word gets translated in various ways. To surround, or to encircle, or to rule, or to control. Also to hold together. I like that idea, to hold together. The love of Christ holds us together. Okay? Christ's love holds Paul together. Surrounds Paul. Constrains him. Motivates him. Right? And the, the love of Christ did so with Peter. And the love of Christ can do so with you. Motivating you to serve the great Savior and Lord that He is. So His love ought to be seen as the great engine behind all service. Now we could say the issue, same, same goes for stating it with regards to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit motivating you and I, compelling us to go, compelling us to share, compelling us to serve. Okay? Along with that, we see the motivation of love in the lives of people that we have read about or heard about or maybe know of even in another country right now. Um, many have given their lives. Here we are, Memorial Day weekend, and we talk about our soldiers who have given their lives for our country. They love America. They gave their lives for America. Well, there's there are people who have given their lives for the cause of Christ. Many of you are familiar with uh, January 8, 1956. January 8, 1956. The men uh, on the team serving in Ecuador, landed on a beach and got out. And despite the fact of having their handguns with them, they did not return fire to the Indians, the Alka Indians, who were now shooting arrows and spears at them. And they died. These five men died. Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian. They died motivated by the love of Christ. Why didn't they pull their guns? They had wives and young children back at camp. Why didn't they pull their guns and shoot back and, and warn them? You know why? <laughs> they knew that... To fight back was the wrong thing in this situation. They wanted these men to come to faith in Christ. And that's one story. You get the book of uh, um, Fox's Book of Martyrs and read about that. You see many, many other examples. So, love is our greatest motivation. To come out uh, a certain night and say, Hey, I'm going to go visiting. Or to come out to prayer meeting. Why, why do that? You get, you get points with the pastoral staff. No. It's motivated out of love. Love for Jesus Christ. Sharing your faith with someone. Sharing your faith with someone you don't even like at work. 
something like that. Serving someone that you don't even like. All those kind of things is motivated by love. Love for Jesus Christ. Okay? All right. If you're kind of looking at this outline and considering it, yes, we are going to 1 Corinthians 13. So please turn there, 1 Corinthians 13. And we go to point number two. Here's our, love is our greatest presentation, if you will. It's our greatest presentation. This is the greatest thing we could present to ourselves and to others. What, what is 1 Corinthians 13 all about? I thought this was the love chapter. Well, it is. It's the love chapter. But you know where it's found? In the context of a local church. It's not just a cute saying on your living room wall. It's for the local church. Okay? This, number two, it's our greatest presentation. Or our, if you will, our greatest demonstration. It's what we put on display. Okay? And letter 2a, it reveals the church's actual strength. This whole thing of our presentation. And here's why. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So, without love, anyone's giftedness results in what? Yeah, nothing. So, we could have someone who's gifted in preaching, gifted in speaking, gifted in that way. Without love, it's really nothing. And we have to connect it to love for God. Not love for oratory, but love for God. Right? And really, I could go grab the symbol over here and start crashing it and hitting it. And I could do it for the next half an hour. Well, how would you like that? No. It's irritating. That's his point. It's irritating. It's a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. So if we rely on giftedness, yet no love, that's what happens. We're like a clanging cymbal. And then, same thing, without love, the gift of prophecy, preaching, in, 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 in declaring God's truth, or my knowledge, my intelligence, and the knowledge that I have, even with that, I could even say, oh, this person's got the greatest depth of faith, a great gift of faith. Even that without love is what? Eh, zippo, nada, right? Nothing. Without love, even my giving, my benevolent efforts, right? My martyr-like sacrifices without love is nothing. Okay, so he's trying to elevate this topic so that we get it. Okay, it's a striking point for all the body, not just the leaders, but for the body of Christ. We ought to be taken by this, grabbed by the, you know, by the necktie here like this. You know, pay attention to this. This is important. 
Anything you do without love equals what class? Nothing. That's what he's saying. There's no profit in it. No matter what kind of gift you have, no matter what kind of faith you have, no matter what kind of giving, it adds up to nothing. And listen, we, we must have these as reminders because it's so easy for me to forget. I know, I know me. so easy for us to forget this and get off track from it. Why is that? Why do we drift off to those kind of ministry efforts doing this, again, without love? There are strengths for some people. You know, some people can just, you know, for instance, I'll just say it. I can, I can get up and I can lead in singing. Okay? I like to sing. But that, that doesn't mean that I'm doing it for Christ. Right? I, I, I have to check myself in that way. I want to make sure that this is why I'm doing it. For love for the Lord. A person could come up and, and give a great oratory message and wow us. But it might result in zero spiritual effect, zero spiritual uh, consequences in it. You need to say, God help us to grow in our love for you. Okay? So, the gifts issue, the, gift, the issue of gifts, the issue of abilities... Are we leaning on those things? Are we depending on those things? We cannot neglect the indispensable ingredient for church leadership, and that being love. We cannot ignore that. We cannot neglect it. Okay? Then, in 1 Corinthians 13, obviously, most of us are aware of it. It goes on to talk about a very practical kind of love. Not jealous, not boastful, not proud, not rude, not self-seeking, not easily angered, not keeping a record of wrongs, not delighting in evil, but rejoicing in the truth. And see, that's something that, that, that serves as a great standard for you at home, doesn't it? It's a great way to go about things at home. So, Utilize this in regards to developing leaders at home. And we want to go about this in regards to seeing leaders developed here in the, in the church. So, let's reverse the, the, the tendency that we have to do it on our own strength. To do it from our own giftedness. And let's reverse that and present a godly, practical kind of love. There's more to that in in 1 Corinthians 13 and other references, but we're going to move on. Here's our third reference. Point number three. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 2. We've referred to this in the past, and here we refer to it again. It's, it's a letter from the head of the body, a letter from Jesus, who's in charge of His church, and it's a letter to the church at Ephesus. And in stating this, it's uh, very in, intriguing how he unpacks this letter. He, in verse 1, to the, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance 
and that you cannot tolerate evil men. You put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance, and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. All those are good. There's the commendation, but here, here comes the problem. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. A church... Well, point number three. Our gra- it's, love is our greatest authentication as a church or verification, if you will. It puts the stamp, you know, from God on a church. This ought to be a, a very concerning issue for us. Why? <laughs> if you don't have the love that he's talking about, then he says, I'll come, I'll remove the lampstand from you. Right? I'm coming to you and will remove, not maybe, but will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. You see the value of repentance? Okay? A church can have lots of good traits, but if this one thing is missing, Christ basically comes to say, hey, time to turn the lights out, man. Now, it's a very serious issue. It ought to concern you. It really ought to concern the leadership about this issue. But remember, it's not to say, everybody say Jesus loves you. Everybody just turn and say, oh, God loves you. And then we'll be a loving church. That doesn't do it, does it? No. What does it? What brings about a loving church? Well, number one, we've got to start with the first stepping stone. It's the Word of God and it's the Gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? It starts there. Not with everyone feeling warm and fuzzy about liking everyone. Because, quite honestly, I might not like you. What? I'm supposed to like everyone. You're supposed to like everyone, right? And then we'll be a loving church. Well, let's go beneath the surface, right? The idea here of love being our greatest verification, if you will, it really identifies us in the best way. If we're loving the way Christ instructs us to, what what the, He's doing here is reiterating or um, recapturing the church's priority. It's recapturing the church's priority. And a lot of times in our day and age, we elevate churches as being successful or cool or whatever we call it because what? They've got a a really awesome band. Or they've got a really um, 
popular preacher and he speaks all over and he travels and does all these seminars and goes to this camp and that camp. And so you ought to come to our church. Well, that's nice. But that doesn't mean that that's a church being blessed by God. We've got a lot of things that cause us to turn and look and say, wow, look at that place. And so it it's important for you and I to grow in the things of God's Word, the knowledge and the wisdom and discernment about God's truth. Okay? Parkside Bible Fellowship does not exist to um, stand as the, the top-notch only church in Fallon. That's not what we're about. There are other churches in town. And you know what? We want to pray for those other churches. The churches that love Jesus Christ and want to teach His Word, we want to pray for them and see them be successful. Yeah? Okay? And we want to be that too. We want to be another church like that to reach people for the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're lost. They need Jesus Christ. And some of you in here, you are lost and you need Jesus Christ in your life. You need to repent from sin. You need to call upon Him who is worthy to save you. We've said it in the past. Showing up at church doesn't make you a Christian. You need to understand what the message of the gospel is. And you don't pay for it by your good works. You don't pay for it by showing up every Sunday and showing up at Sunday school every Sunday and showing up at prayer meeting every Sunday. No, it's not done by that. The thing, what's the thing that glorifies God the most? It's faith in Him. That's what glorifies God. When you put faith in Jesus Christ. When I do it by way of my works, I'm putting reliance on my works. I'm leaning on the fact that I've been a good boy or I've been a good guy and I deserve something from God. That does not work. And so it comes down to what? Faith in Jesus Christ is what justifies a person in the sight of God. Okay? Now, we want to be an effective church here in town. And to be an effective church, as we've seen, you know, we want to have the right motivation, right? We want to present the right things, right? We, it's not like we're saying, well, let's just present love and that's all. No, we need to present love. We need to present the gospel. We need to present the word of God. A hatred for sin. A love for righteousness. Those things. We want to keep presenting those things. Okay? But see, here's this church at Ephesus who had all the right stuff. They, you know, look at the list. It's like, come on. You'd think with all that is mentioned here about the church at Ephesus, they'd be at the top of the class of churches. They're really cool. Let's go visit them. They got it together. But Jesus said what? No. You've lost your first love. You know where I'm going? The question has to come to me. And the question has to come to you. Have you lost your first love? The question 
is also important. What do you love? Who do you love? We, I know, I know, we're all busy. We all get going, you know, five ways to Friday, right? Who do you love? And, and you can't just stand and t- tell me, or I can't stand and tell you, well, I love Jesus. I could say that, but what does Jesus want? For me just to throw those words out? Or me to demonstrate? Okay? And folks, there's opportunity for everyone in here. There's opportunity to show forth the love of Christ. Today, tomorrow, the next, and on and on and on. We can show forth the love of Christ. Okay? So this gets us to point number four. Our greatest application. Okay? Our greatest application. Or we could say our greatest determination. I don't mind using that word. But our greatest determination today, will it be to love the Lord? Will it be to show forth that we love the Lord, but we want to demonstrate that by loving other people? And let's face it. We're, you know, we're a congregation that, you know, you, if you're here for the first time, you, you time it and see who's, what time the last couple of folks are out of here by. (laughs) We like each other. We like to talk. We like to fellowship and, and share. It's wonderful to see, you know, that interaction following the service. But that doesn't mean we're loving like Christ calls us to, does it? It doesn't. It it goes deeper than that. I enjoy sharing and talking with everyone in here, you know, that we we have connection with. But it, the the thing the message of the love of Christ goes much deeper to saying, you know what? Um I heard that so and so has a real need. Why don't we why don't we do something today about that? Sharing. Um, someone's down about life or about work. You know, I can affirm them, can I? You can affirm them, right? You're, you're thinking of ways of sharing or affirming, right? Um, even saying, oh, you know, so-and-so is going to be moving. I can, I can get some time off and go help them. I'm serving you know, again, it's it's going deeper than just, hey, you know, the Giants won again, or, the, you know, whoever, uh, or the weather, it's great, I love it. All the stuff that we are very comfortable with, right? We're comfortable there. But love is calling, Jesus is calling us to go deeper than just the surface of stuff, right? So application now, when you're at your home or here at this church, when leadership is motivated by love, then we'll see a greater level of efficiency and growth potential within the body of Christ. Okay? That's what we want to do. Be motivated by the love of Christ. And listen, I can't do this alone. I can't, Brennan and I can't do it alone. It has to be spread from, you know, here's the elders and deacons and, and the, our teachers and, and volunteers and everyone catches fire with it. Okay? 
that everyone catches fire with it. So, we want to be um, taking it from our understanding to action, right? That's the best way. And uh, remember that love is a necessity for church leadership. An absolute necessity. Think of ways. Talk about it in your connect groups. Talk about it at home. What are ways that I as a Christian or you as a Christian can cultivate this living in love? This leading in love. How do we cultivate it? Start talking about it. Read about it more. Quiet yourself before a holy God that wants to communicate His truth to you. Spend time letting the Word of God speak to your heart. Asking God to shine forth in our lives. Okay? Leadership in love. We cannot do it now just because we've uh, gone through this little outline, gone through these three passages. It's not going to happen just because, okay, we got it. No. Now it takes saying, dear Lord, please help us demonstrate this. Help us to go beneath the surface of just being a good guy, good girl, you know, having a good time with each other. Let's go beneath the surface and demonstrate service to Christ. Affirming one another, building one another up. Not just with encouraging, hey, I hope you have a great day, but thinking of verses that minister to you that you can share with others to say, you know... um, you, you've always um, spoken grace into my life. Thank you. There's some affirming. Okay? I, I know you've always been praying for me and my kids. Thank you. I, I just want to say, you know, thank you so much. for. There's ways in which we can actually love that are deep-rooted. Okay? So, uh, let's bow in prayer. And close our time here together. Take heed to the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of His saints. Heavenly Father, thank You for this time and thank You for uh, the amazing example and demonstration of Your love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross for us. Lord, I pray that people in here would respond to what You've already shown You've already demonstrated it. It's not waiting around for some little signal or sign from heaven. You've already demonstrated your love, so please help people in responding to that message of love and that clear message of love. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that you came forth despite rebellious Sinners who turned away from you and chose their own way, you came and sent your only Son to die on the cross that whosoever believeth 
might not perish, but have everlasting life. Help us to rejoice in you today. Help us, Lord, in demonstrating that we really know you by the identification of loving others. We thank you, Lord, and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.